We know from the data that's being revealed of the women who are leaving the workforce that, you know, a majority of them are black and brown women, that they are in the, the kinds of jobs where they can't balance kids home from school with going to work. And so they are leaving the workforce in disproportionate numbers. We also know that they're the ones who are most hit by financially by the impact. You know, they are they're in industries where they've been, you know, laid off, you know, in hospitality, in the entertainment industry. We did a survey at Times Up last summer, which found at that point in time, half of black women and Latinx women had less than $200 in their savings accounts, right? And that was last summer, right? So think about where they are now, today, six months later, and how much worse that is. Uh, we know the unemployment rate, even as it's starting to recover for white men, is still persistently high for Black and brown women. And, and so that, that their need being able to go back to work for having access to caregiving. And then we also know that caregivers are overwhelmingly black and brown women. And in the United States, again, we have a real legacy. It goes all the way back to slavery of not seeing caregiving as a job that should be included. I mean, they, they literally in the, in the time of the New Deal, when labor protections and minimum wage protections were extended to the workforce, caregivers were explicitly excluded from those protections, which continue to this day, because it was seen as free work back to the legacy of slavery. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Did you know that in the United States in 2020, over 2 million women left the workforce? And in December, 140,000 jobs were lost, and every single one of those to a woman. This is an issue which disproportionately impacts Black and Latina women who work in roles that often lack paid sick leave and the ability to work from home. As COVID-19 hit, mothers were forced to stay at home to care for their children. According to UN Women, the global organization responsible for advancing gender equality, before the crisis started, women did nearly three times as much unpaid care and domestic work as men. Social distancing measures, school closures, and an overburdened health system have put increased demand on women and girls to cater to the basic survival needs of the family and care for the sick and elderly. Emerging evidence from UN Women's Rapid Gender Assessment Survey demonstrates the disproportionate share of unpaid care work is still falling on women's shoulders during the pandemic. In fact, they report an increase in unpaid care, often while managing paid work. This is a global issue. In rural contexts where women are generally responsible for gathering water and firewood, this constrains their ability to carry out paid work particularly when jobs cannot be carried out remotely. In urban areas, women are having to care for children at home while holding down a full-time remote job. While men have spent more time at home and in some cases cared for their children or dependents too, women are still undertaking the majority of domestic duties at home. Research by UN Women shows that in past epidemics, adolescent girls are at particular risk of dropping out and not returning to school, 
Even after the crisis is over, women's unpaid care work has long been recognised as a driver of inequality with direct links to wage inequality, lower income and physical and mental health stresses. If governments don't put policies in place to value care work and support mothers' return to the workforce, we run the risk of widening the gender economic gap for years to come. In today's episode, Tina Chen, the president and CEO of Time's Up Now and the Time's Up Foundation, will be joining us to share why care can't wait. Tina is a former assistant to President Barack Obama, executive director of the White House Council on Women and Girls and chief of staff to First Lady Michelle Obama. Tina has worked to advance gender equality, particularly for working women. Here, Tina shares how the care crisis is playing out in the United States. What we've experienced over the last year has really exposed something that actually those of us are working women and working moms, you know, and people who have to do caregiving for other loved ones in our lives have known for generations that in the United States, certainly we do not invest in caregiving as either a public good that public policy should address or as something employers are invested in on behalf of their workforce. Instead, certainly the prevailing American view for literally this goes back centuries is, look, this is unpaid work. It should be done by unpaid caregivers. It's family care. It's either women who should stay home with their babies kind of attitude. It's certainly not something that anybody else needs to worry about. It's workers need to just figure that out for themselves. And that translates into the modern era as really the United States entering the pandemic as the only industrialized country in the world without any form of national paid family leave policy of any kind. We did not even have national sick leave at the start of the pandemic, if you can imagine that, so that 106 million American workers at the start of the pandemic had no way of taking a day off when they got sick and still get paid, which now we know from the pandemic is crazy, right? If you think about that, you know, that's not safe for workers, it's not safe for customers, it's not safe for employers. And so happily, I think we've seen a start to the attitude shift. We've certainly seen, you know, a real change from this new White House on how to approach these issues. Women can experience barriers associated with motherhood, even if they never intend to become mothers themselves. The assumption is that women are always less committed to work because they're preoccupied with either looking for a partner, settling down, getting engaged, having children, or caring for dependents, which makes valuing motherhood a central issue in the feminist movement. Here, Tina shares why care is a top priority for Time's Up. For Time's Up, it has become a priority of ours as we saw this impact of the pandemic on women leaving the workforce starting last summer. And for us, you know, as an organization that was founded to combat sexual harassment in the workplace and for survivor justice for women working and men working in the workplace, we continue to do that work, but we don't just want to keep addressing sexual harassment after it happens, right? We also want to work for a world where it doesn't happen in the first place. And we know that sexual harassment is a symptom of a toxic workplace, a workplace that is not fully diverse and inclusive, because if you have women and people of color and LGBTQ and disabled workers represented up and down the wage scale, 
you've got a workforce that's fair, you know, that's safer, that is more equitable for everyone, or you know, you're not having people um, be subjected to sexual harassment and other forms of discrimination. And so those barriers that keep workers from succeeding in the workplace, especially those that disproportionately affect women in the workplace, are things that we at Time's Up are focused on knocking down. And right now, caregiving is is one of the most crucial barriers that we see. According to the Center for American Progress, childcare challenges have become a barrier to work, especially for mothers who disproportionately take on unpaid caregiving responsibilities when their family can't find or afford childcare. In a 2018 survey, mothers were 40% more likely than fathers to report that they'd personally felt the negative impact of childcare issues on their careers. The report concludes that too often, mothers must make job decisions based on childcare considerations rather than in the interest of their financial situation or career goals. This is also reflected in the World Economic Forum's 2021 Global Gender Gap Report. The report found that during the pandemic, women in the United States who look after young children have reduced their work hours four to five times more than men and are more likely to have exited the labour force. And in many areas, these are issues that disproportionately affect women of colour. Here, Tina shares why care is a racial justice issue. It affects women of color in multiple ways. First of all, you know, we know from the data that's being revealed of the women who are leaving the workforce that a majority of them are black and brown women. The kinds of jobs where they can't balance kids home from school with going to work. And so they are leaving the workforce in disproportionate numbers. We also know that they're the ones who are most hit by financially by the impact. They're in industries where they've been, you know, laid off, you know, in hospitality, in the entertainment industry. We did a survey at Time's Up last summer, which found at that point in time, half of Black women and Latinx women had less than $200 in their savings accounts, right? And that was last summer, right? So think about where they are now, today, six months later, and how much worse that is. Uh, we know the unemployment rate, even as it's starting to recover for white men, is still persistently high for Black and brown women. And, and so that, that their need being able to go back to work for having access to caregiving. And then we also know that caregivers are overwhelmingly Black and brown women. And in the United States, again, we have a real legacy. It goes all the way back to slavery of not seeing caregiving as a job that should be included. I mean, they, they literally in the in the time of the New Deal, when labor protections and minimum wage protections were extended to the workforce, caregivers were explicitly excluded from those protections, which continue to this day, because that was seen as either free work back to the legacy of slavery or work that was done by your friend and therefore it wasn't a real job and we should invest in it. So as a result, caregivers, again, who are also, you know, overwhelmingly women of color get paid minimum wage in the United States. You know, federal minimum wage is only $7 an hour. Many states happily have increased that, but, you know, caregivers are among the lowest paid. So they're getting eight to $10 an hour to do some of the most backbreaking critical care work for folks. They don't have wage and hour protections that other workers have because they were kept out of those protections. And, you know, as a result, we know many of them suffer long hours without any recourse. They're in somebody's home where they're subjected to sexual harassment without any recourse. And so one of the things I'm, I'm really encouraged to see by the Biden-Harris administration is that in addition to 
the investments in expanding care and increasing wages. So the Biden-Harris proposals that are just unveiled call for $15 minimum wage for caregivers also include extending labor protections to caregivers. And, you know, look, that's like actually good for all of us because, you know, this is an industry where demand is really high, right? Anybody who's had to look for care, right? For your children, for a loved one who is ill, knows it's really hard to find quality caregivers out there. And that demand is only going to grow, right? As more and more of us, you know, become baby booming generation is getting older. It's 70% of us who cross age 65, myself included, you know, at some point we're going to need 70% will need some form of care during the remainder of our lives. And we don't have the supply out there. And so we actually need to invest in that workforce and invest in it as a profession. And so we all need it ourselves so that the supply will be there in a quality way. And we've got to invest in that to do it. And the good news is if we do that right, we'll be investing in jobs that will empower black and brown women. So it's a racial justice issue as well. If we want to create cultures that value the contributions of mothers and fathers, we must tackle the negative attitudes and assumptions that leaders hold about working mothers. We need to make sure all policies or programs don't perpetuate gender stereotypes, but instead free men and women to manage their home lives. We need the right kind of managerial behaviours in place to ensure that both men and women are not stigmatised for utilising these programs. Creating an enabling environment for working parents to thrive is about having the right culture in place that supports all employees with managing their dual identities. These are long-standing gender norms. You know, when I say that just the labor policy history, you know, is a century old, you know, the gender norms around who cares for the children and who goes out and hunts and gathers, right? That's that's how long we've been talking about gender norms that were ingrained, not just is not an American thing. This is this is I've often said gender discrimination is one of the things that has transcends time and geography, race, religion. You know, it's literally everywhere and has been everywhere. And that's what we're combating. And so it does, you know, some of those around, you know, who's doing the laundry, who is cooking, who's also doing homework. The interesting thing, I think anecdotally from the pandemic is because everybody's had to stay home, you know, even CEOs have had to, you know, they couldn't go just go to the office and ignore what was happening with kids at home from school and not being able to get some of your household help that you might normally have into your house during the shutdown. All of a sudden, the amount of unrecognized labor that it takes to keep a family going, to keep a household going that has fallen to women, I think is one of the other things that got revealed during this pandemic moment in a way that has never been revealed before. And so I think there is an awareness, you know, it's not universal, but it is, it is, there's a growing, you know, awareness of what families need and what we're not providing and who's, who's actually doing the providing and filling the gaps. And it is, you know, overwhelmingly women who are doing that, you know, so how can we even that out for the average person, I would say in your own life, take a look at that and see how to get more help, you know, from your partner, from your spouse, how to, also seek the help that you need out there in the community if you're somebody who's struggling, you know, with these issues and help is on the way in for those in who are in the United States. I mean, the 
The bill that is already enacted, the American Rescue Plan, has provisions that are already in effect. Like for especially for low wage folks, you can get access to the child care tax credit. It will start in July coming in the form of a check to you, not just a one-time payment after you file your taxes, but you actually have to file your taxes by May 17th to get it. Um, if you're a small business, you can give paid leave to your workers for COVID-related illnesses, and you can give it to them now to get paid time off to take the vaccine and recover from any vaccine-related side effects and get a tax credit from the federal government starting right now and under the American Rescue Plan. So take a look at that if you're a small business owner. And then finally, I would say use your voice as somebody at home. Use your voice with your employer. I think more and more employers want to respond to what their workers need but don't know what to do. And I've encouraged a lot of CEOs to say, take surveys about what, don't just make assumptions about what kind of return to work your employees want and what kind of schedules they need. Ask them. I would say as an employee, you can speak up about whether it's, you know, you need a modified schedule, you need on-site childcare, you know, you need a childcare subsidy, you know, what, whatever it is that would help you do that. I think you will find more than we've had in the past, a receptive audience by you know company leadership because they are concerned about this. And then finally, we're in a moment in the United States where for the first time, you know, today, April 28th, President Biden's going to give his joint session speech. And for the first time, he has put out a very comprehensive paid leave proposal. When I said we were the only country that didn't have it, well, guess what? As of today, there's at least a proposal on the table from the president in Congress. We need folks to raise their voices in support of these policies. We actually know, we did polling at at Time's Up, we know this is not a partisan issue. Not only do nine out of 10 Democrats support comprehensive caregiving proposals, eight out of 10 Republicans do, right? Because these are not issues that are red or blue issues. Now, the members of Congress sort of seem to to see it that way. So I think folks can, no matter where you live, make your voice heard with your elected leaders that these are proposals and policies that you support, because that's what it's going to take to actually make them a reality. The law on supporting employees with caring responsibilities varies hugely by region, but every organisation can look beyond the legal requirements and build support mechanisms that help their people to manage their lives, enabling them to thrive at work. A good starting point is providing caregivers with time to support their dependents through policies like paid parental leave and flexible work arrangements. Policies can support parents and also those who care for elderly persons or people with disabilities. But this is only half the story. All leaders have a critical role in promoting a culture where these policies are for everyone, not just women, and where no one is penalised for using them when it comes to promotion decisions and rewards. Even with the most family-friendly policies in place, a caregiver's ability to thrive at work will always depend on the sponsorship and support they receive from their manager. Workplaces can no longer afford to ignore the behaviours of any leaders who fail to support or who block the advancement of mothers or any carers at work. Well, I do think employers really, like in ways I've never seen before, are really open to this and they're actually really looking for ideas and for solutions. I think you've seen things where employers, as, as if they're not bringing their entire workforce back, taking that excess space and converting it into childcare space. And not just for small children. We, we tend to think of childcare as preschool care. But with this pandemic, we now know that 
Actually, school-age kids need it too. You need after-school care. If school's closed, right, for some reason, because they have to do a partial shutdown or they have to quarantine folks, then, you know, set up a space so the parents can be working in one area and kids can be doing their Zoom school on site somewhere else, right? That's, you know, a different way of approaching things. I think there's some employers who've been providing extra stipends to their employees to help cover childcare costs. Some have actually with Zoom school been doing things like corporate accounts with people like Khan Academy or online schooling, right? To help give employees and parents tools to help supplement what they need to do as they're struggling, right? To do homeschooling through Zoom as, as schools remain closed. So I think there are a lot of those, you know, ideas. I think more and more places are thinking about what to do around on-site childcare and how to make that happen. I'm hoping, you know, one of the ideas that I'm hoping to see us implement, you know, and it's 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 new and it's going to take some work, but as money flows into this system, both public money as that increases and as companies want to access childcare and private sector money flows into it. I would love to see us come up with new ways of doing business that actually empower the black and brown and Asian women who are providing the care rather than having the normal way that happens when an industry opens up and the big players come in and all those caregivers are working for some big national company. You know, could we imagine a world where we actually empower those caregivers to be the business owners so that they are providing? It's a very localized service, right? There's no need it needs to be delivered by a national company. This is a very localized service that you need in your neighborhood, in where your, your company is located. Can we organize this work in a way that empowers those women um, and men, you know, to be the caregivers and provide that in a way which would really address some of the economic disparities that we have overall in our country. We've been very active and will remain, you know, active on public awareness, you know, and support for public policy proposals that are out there. We've been doing a lot of work through our Times Up Impact Lab to sort of reinforce that. So one of the key pieces of research that I'm really proud of is we issued in February a paper that did the economic analysis on what had been the Biden-Harris campaign proposal of a $700 billion 10-year investment in caregiving and demonstrated that that would actually create 2 million jobs a year and $220 billion of economic activity, which really, I think, helped fuel and support the announcements that we're seeing today and investments. So we're going to continue to do that work is put out more research, you know, on these issues. And we're also talking to companies, as we've talked about in the session. Companies don't have to wait for public policy for Congress. The care crisis is a global issue. Tackling it requires support from governments, corporations and every single one of us doing our part to share the load at home. In recognising the negative impact that the pandemic is having on children, UNICEF identified key actions every employer can take which will help support their people through the crisis. These include, number one, assess whether current workplace policies effectively support families. Start by identifying the most pressing needs of working parents. UNICEF says specific focus should be placed on vulnerable groups, such as temporary, informal, migrant, pregnant or nursing workers, workers with disabilities, and those who lack access to benefits like paid sick leave. Number two, grant flexible work arrangements. As UNICEF say, flexible work arrangements give workers freedom over when and where they can fulfill their job responsibilities. Because the needs of working parents can vary greatly, different types of flexible work arrangements support parents to care for their children and families. 
Number three, support parents with safe, accessible and affordable quality childcare options. UNICEF point out that as school and childcare closures have become widespread, many working parents have been faced with limited or no childcare options. Some may even be compelled to leave younger children with limited supervision, compromising their safety. Employers can support these parents in numerous ways, including through childcare referral systems, subsidies and flexible work arrangements. Number four, reduce financial burdens should workers or their family members fall ill with COVID-19. Support measures can include employment protection, paid sick leave and economic transfers like child benefits and subsidies for health expenditures. UNICEF urged that vulnerable groups such as low-income and informal workers should be provided with particular support. These are just some of the actions that workplaces can take to support their people and to demonstrate their continued commitment to equality during the pandemic. Before you go, just a quick reminder to check out the 100 Actions for Equality campaign which provides 100 actions that you can take every day to create a more equal working world. Just visit 100actionsforequality.com. Thank you for tuning in to our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.